So we're starting a new series this uh, weekend, and it's on the book of Ephesians. And Paul does something very interesting in most of his letters. He begins in the first few chapters, and he'll, he will say, this is who God is, this is what God is doing, this is uh, kind of, a, a, it's rich in theology. And then the other half of the book is about, okay, so that means this is what you should think about yourself. This is what you should do. This is how you should behave. Because of who you are, this is how you should behave. And so uh, essentially what Paul is saying, and, and this is really true in our lives, we really don't know who we are until we know who he is. Because after all, if he is our creator, if he's the one who made us in his image, if he sent his son Jesus for us to save us because we're sinners and we're lost and we need a savior. And it makes perfect sense to know that when we get to know him and we get to know what his plan is, then we not, not only discover what, who God is and what he's doing, but we get, we see how we fit in and who we are and we find our identity. And I think one of the things that is being lost in our world today is people are being identified by things that are inferior. And those things are breaking down. They've really broken down this year. And people have said, well, who am I? And what's, what, what's the point of life? And, and I'm, I'm nervous and I'm anxious and all those things. And basically, Paul says, unless you have a foundation and you build your life on that foundation, life is going to be very difficult and almost impossible. So we want to look at that this uh, weekend. But first, I always like to do in a series like this, I, and from time to time. I like to assume that everyone here doesn't know the Bible because sometimes we think the person sitting next to us is a Bible scholar and they know the Bible and they're so smart and they understand it and I feel like a complete idiot and I don't know anything. And so you you may feel that way. And so this is one of those times where we're going to try to all get on the same page. So you say, General Electric Power Company, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's the four epistles that come right together, and it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's just a quick way to remember those four epistles because they come together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company, right? So it's pretty easy to understand. And Now, I want to talk a little bit about what an epistle is. We're talking about an epistle. Epistle is just a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote. And these are all Pauline letters, letters that Paul wrote to churches. Like, for instance, uh, Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia. Ephesus, or Ephesians, was written to the Christians, the churches. There were multiple churches in the city of Ephesus. Um, Philippians, another one. It was uh, Paul writing a letter to that was circulated from church to church to church in the city of Philippi. And then Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to the city of Colossae and the Christians in Colossae. And uh, the last three of those, Galatians, Ephesians, and, uh, excuse me, that's not right, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are what we call prison epistles. And the reason we call those, so these last three are prison epistles, and why do we call them prison epistles? Because Paul wrote them from a Roman prison. Okay, and so you understand, imagine yourself in a Roman prison writing a letter that's going to be distributed to different, you know, cities or regions. 
what would you say to those folks? So Paul will make reference to that, and we'll see that as we move through that. So we're going to look at electric, or Ephesians. We're going to look at a letter or an epistle that Paul wrote to the city of Ephesus, but which would have been distributed to many of the churches in Ephesus. And Paul wrote this letter while he was a prisoner in Rome. All right? So hopefully you walk away and you go, okay, I've learned a little bit today. That's a good thing. So now we're going to jump into Ephesians. We're going to start reading. I'm going to just read the first uh, few verses. Let's read 1 through 10, and then we'll talk about it, okay? Ephesians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle of uh, Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from our God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us uh, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him or in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's a mouthful. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. And we're going to unpack that in the next couple of weeks. But what do we know about Paul? What do we know about the Apostle Paul? Because it says from the Apostle Paul. And uh, the question is, what do we know? Who is, who is Paul? Well, Paul began as Saul. And Saul was a devoted rabbi. He was raised in a very religious family. And he was raised, he was a Jewish rabbi. And he became a leader of a movement that went to persecute and prosecute the church. Um, but he became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Paul was converted to Christ on a road to, Dama road to Damascus. And uh, Jesus met him on the road in, in a vision. And it, 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 Jesus said to him, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And, and there was a, a moment where Paul had a literally come to Jesus moment and Paul, or Saul, became Paul, and there was a conversion. He went from persecuting the church to being one of the greatest uh, apostles to the church. He became a, an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, he planted churches all over the Roman Empire. Ephesus is one of those churches that uh, we looked at. Uh, Paul traveled a number of missionary journeys, probably uh, three at least that we have recorded, uh, these are all recorded in the book of Acts. When you read through the book of Acts, after you get through the first part of the book, uh, you get to a place where you see Paul is going on all these missionary journeys, and it's all, mostly a, about Paul's journeys. Pro Paul probably wrote to the church of Ephesus as a prisoner from Rome, as I said. Um, that's why we call Rome, uh, Ephesus, uh, uh, Ephesians, uh, a prison epistle. Um, 
And a couple of times in uh, Ephesians 1, or excuse me, 3, 1, 4, 1, and 6, 20, he says he calls himself a prisoner and he calls himself an ambassador in chains. And that's a reference to the point that he's writing this from a Roman prison cell. He probably wrote, uh, well, around probably A.D. 53, probably he ministered to the city of Ephesus two years later. He's, uh, well, probably on his third missionary journey, he spent at least, we know of, probably two years with his church. So he had a lot of time with his church in Ephesus. He spent two years of his ministry with uh, the church of Ephesus. And so he built a very strong church there. Um, it was dedicated to the, and by the way, the city of Ephesus was dedicated, uh, many of the people that lived in Ephesus worshipped the, the, uh, the, uh, the goddess Diana. They had statues all over the city. And uh, so Paul had great success, but he also had great oppression uh, and opposition. So Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison cell, probably around A.D. 62. Um, he was on trial for his life, but uh, he was concerned about the spiritual needs of the two years of the Christians that he met and the church that he planted in, the, uh, in Ephesus. So he writes this letter to them to build their faith up. So what I want to do is I want to get to uh, the, the point of where we're at with this whole thing and what difference does that make to us? Because we can walk out and say, okay, I know what GE, uh, General Electric Power Company, means. I know where Galatians is. I know why Paul wrote it. But that's all good information. But what, what difference does that make in my day-to-day -day life, in my relationships? in the, the problems I'm having at work or in the family or um, the, the, the struggles that I'm having. And so the question we want to ask is this, how do we get past our past? How do we get past our past? And you say, well, where do you get that from? Where do you get that from the passage? Well, and we're going to unpack a little bit of the Apostle Paul's life. Because when you look at his life, you say, how in the world could a guy go from persecuting the church to become one of the greatest evangelist for the church and for Jesus Christ. And how did he do that? How did he live with the guilt? You know, some people, and you may know them, maybe you're one of them, maybe you're watching online and you're joining us and you're haunted by your past. You've done things or things have been done to you that just have crippled you and you just feel like this has been something that has been so difficult to get over. In fact, you haven't gotten over it and it you, 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 you just find yourself just always going to the past. And you've allowed the past to define who you are today. And it probably will define you in the days to come if, if something doesn't happen. If anyone had a past that could have defined them, that could have knocked them out of the game, that could have paralyzed them, it was Paul. Um, very early in Paul's life, I want to just read you this account. So what has happened? This is from the book of Acts. And, and uh, basically Stephen, the first martyr of the church, has taken, been taken out. And what is his crime? His crime is that he's just worshipped Jesus and that he believes in the resurrected Jesus. And so what do they do? They take him outside the city and they stone him to death. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine watching Somebody be stoned to death. And what does Stephen say? It's very interesting what Stephen says. Father, forgive them. The same thing that Jesus said from the cross. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. 
It said Saul was watching their cloaks because, you know, they had to take their cloaks off so they could really wind up and throw those stones. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 8. Saul approved of their killing him. This is of killing Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Paul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. What did he put them in prison for? For worshiping Jesus. Now think about this. This is an interesting contrast that what, what Luke writes in his account, he says, he says this, he says, Godly men buried Stephen, but Paul, excuse me, but Saul began to destroy the church. You see the contrast there? It's so stark. It's so, it's so tragic. So do you think that Paul might have lived with a little bit of guilt? That, that he might have felt a little bit of like, look at the damage that I've done. But Paul was able to look at what he was able to accomplish you see, here's, here's, I think, one of the lessons that I think we can learn is you will never gain with the woulda, coulda, shouldas. If you play those scenarios, you will always lose. You'll never win. Those are, that's a losing game. You'll never win that game. And we're going to see that what Paul did is, and his, his whole attitude was he acknowledged what he did, but he moved on and he understood that he was forgiven and he understood that he had a new life and a new standing. And that's what we have to do to conquer our past. How not to deal with your past. Here's three ways that we deal with our past and they're inadequate, they're inferior ways to deal with our past. Number one, we minimize or rationalize our past. Now, there's a couple of different things and I have to put a disclaimer in. I'm not talking specifically this weekend to people who have been hurt by other people. You had nothing to do with it. You were an innocent party and people have hurt you and you're struggling with that. And I understand that that's a, that's a whole that's a whole thing. I'm really talking to those of you that have made poor choices. Let's be honest, you've sinned. You've you've disobeyed what you you knew you should have done something. You didn't do it. You went the wrong way. And now you're paying the consequences. And the first thing that you can do, the first thing that you do that is a bad way to deal with it is you minimize it or you rationalize it. You say, well, it wasn't such a big deal and you don't deal with it. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Secondly, you beat yourself up. You live in continual condemnation. I'm a terrible person. I'm awful. I'll never amount to anything. And, and, and you just pile on yourself and you just can't get over it. Or the, the third thing that people I've seen do is blame shift. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's not my fault. It's this problem. It's not my fault. It's the circumstance. It's not my fault. It's the economy. It's always someone else's fault. It's never your fault. Those are inadequate ways to deal with your past, your sin. Well, how do we deal with our past? Well, it, the, the first thing we need to do is this. We have to admit our guilt and repent of our sin. It's so important for us. The writer of Proverbs says this, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Do you want mercy today? You do not find mercy from blame shifting, from, you know, 
not acknowledging, just not taking it seriously. You get mercy when you will admit that you've sinned, that you've failed God. That's where you find it. Uh, John in 1 John says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you want forgiveness, you can't, you, you can't just dismiss your sin or downplay your sin or blame shift your sin. You have to deal with your sin. If you want to deal with your past and you've made horrible decisions and you're, you're suffering the consequences of those decisions, the way you move back is you do what David did in Psalm 51 and you said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, David sinned against a lot of people, not just against the Lord, but primarily he sinned against God. So that's the first thing we have to do. Secondly, we have to accept and believe the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I think some people have a hard time with that. They feel like, well, there must be some penance that I have to play. There must be some penalty that, you know, or, you know, I have to go into, you know, some type of a, uh, a program where I'm rehabilitated, there's a point where you have to say, Jesus just forgives you. That's why he gave his life on the cross. Look what it says in Romans 8. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering think about that for a minute do you see what you see what the 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 writer's saying the writer's saying there's no condemnation That, that though there may be people condemning you if you've confessed your sin to God, if you've acknowledged it, if you've taken responsibility for it, if you've repented for it and you've asked God to forgive you, you are not under condemnation because Jesus took the condemnation for you. So this is Romans chapter 8. Who wrote Romans? Paul. Paul wrote Romans. Last time I checked. You think Paul lived in this Don't condemn yourself. Do you think he looked back and said, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Now, he would say, I had a knowledge for God. I was trying to serve God. I was misled. I was was on the wrong track. But how do you not feel guilty? And Paul basically had to say, it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not condemned. Jesus was condemned for me. And yes, I dragged people out of their houses. I watched as Stephen was stoned. I was part of it. But I'm not under condemnation. Paul wrote those words. Paul who understood what it meant to feel guilty. Number three, we have to focus on the future. I think this is really important for us. Look at what Paul says here. I think Paul constantly, constantly did this. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul basically said, I've learned from my past, but I don't live there. I don't have to dwell there. I've learned from it. I've repented. 
But now I've moved on, and now I'm looking forward. And one of the, one of the things, this is, this is a sad thing, and some of you have had conversations with people recently where they're just constantly in the past. They're living in the past. They're living in guilt. They're living in failure. They're living in condemnation. And Paul says you, that's a place you can live, but you don't have to live there. You can live in the future. You can move forward. You can truly believe that Jesus did forgive you, does forgive you. You could truly believe that Jesus, when he said it is, it is finished, it was finished. You could truly believe that Jesus was enough, that his sacrifice on the cross was enough for you. You could truly live in the grace and the mercy that God offers you every day if you'll ask him. You could truly live in that. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now who wrote this, 1 Corinthians? Paul. <laughs> he says, that, that was the old Saul. That was, that, was, that was who I used to be, but that's not who I am now. Which just gives us a whole other picture of the Christian life. The Christian life isn't something where we, we believe in Jesus and then we go on and live like hell and then we go to heaven. You know, there are too many Christians that believe that. They think, well, I just, li you know, I, I believed, I prayed a prayer, I did something way back then, so therefore, I'm just waiting till Jesus comes. Now, I'm not living for Jesus. I'm not looking for Him to guide me or direct me, but I know that when He comes one day, I'm in, because I asked Jesus into my heart. I think there's going to be a lot of disappointed people. In fact, Matthew, as much as says that in the Sermon on the Mount, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did this in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I don't even know you. Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Now, you're not immediately new. You're not immediately renewed. But there's a path. There's a growth pattern. And Saul is no, in, in no way would people who, who knew Saul and they saw Paul 10 years later would think it's the same person. Who is this guy? He used to persecute the church and now is going all over the Roman world. To plant the churches. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who is more prolific in the proclamation of the gospel than the Apostle Paul. You'd be very hard-pressed to find anyone like him. And we want to close with this. Who's Paul addressing? <laughs> So how do you get past your pain? Well, you, you deal with it. You, 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 you know, we, we, we talked about that. And you think of the Apostle Paul. Boy, if there was ever a past that you had to get past, Paul had to get past. Paul had to go from Saul to, to Paul, right? And so if there's hope, essentially Paul would say, if there's hope for me, there's absolutely hope for you. Basically, Paul says at one point in one of his letters, he says, if you think you're bad, you're, you're, you, you know, if there's bragging rights for being the worst sinner on earth, I win. <laughs> that, essentially, that's what Paul says. He says, I'm, I'm one of the worst sinners on earth, but you know what? I'm forgiven. And we look at Paul and we say, what an incredible ministry Paul had.
an incredible ministry he had. But what, what was the difference? The difference was he understood he was not under condemnation. He, he understood he was forgiven. He took, he took his past seriously. He dealt with it. But he moved on and he had his eyes forward. Now, who is Paul addressing in the letter of, in Ephesus? So it says in Ephesians 1, 1, to God's holy people, you may have a translation that you're reading that says to the saints, right? So uh, you think about, well, who is a saint? What's a saint? I think you have to die to be a saint, don't you? <laughs> so, so I don't really want to be a saint yet. You know, one day, you know, St. Matthew, okay, you know, but not now, not today. Um, but you, you essentially have to be proclaimed a saint, you, and you have to do certain things in the, in the Catholic Church to be proclaimed a saint. But essentially, you have to be dead. And so there's a lot of people that if, if you were to walk, I'm going to work, going to work tomorrow or go to school tomorrow and say, hey, just so you know, I'm a saint. And at, people are going to look at you like, okay, there's only two ways to look at that. Either you're like thinking that you're really moral and righteous and good, which you're not because I know you. Or you're just nuts. I mean, you're just like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? Because we use this phrase saints. You know, even holy people, we go, well, holy people, I don't know, really. I mean, I've been on Facebook and I've read some of the back and forth and they don't sound like holy people talking to each other, but they say they're Christians. Um, the Greek word just means holy ones. Um, and saints is absolutely misunderstood today. And even holy ones is misunderstood. Essentially what the New Testament teaches is this. That when you, when you call upon Jesus, when you, when you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you're helpless and hopeless without Jesus, and you call upon Jesus, you come into an, you're adopted into a new family. You become a new person. Paul says you're part of the new creation, right? Old things are passed away. All things become new. You have a new status. So um, if you've ever been in an adoption or through an adoption or known f people who have adoption, what do they do? They take a child who is, uh, has no family or needs to have a family, and the family adopts that child. And immediately that child's status changes. Now what has that child done to deserve or earn that? Probably nothing. It was the love, it was the desire of the parents to take that child and love that child and raise that child and care for that child. They had a heart for that child. They had a love for that child, right? They adopted that child into their family. The Bible says the moment we call upon the name of the Lord, we're adopted into a new family by a father in heaven who loves us dearly. That our status changes immediately. That we take on a new name. And the new name is that we're saints. We're God's holy people. It doesn't mean that we've arrived. It doesn't mean that we're... And, and that's the whole point of, of the book of Ephesians and the other epistles. Basically, Paul says, you're a saint. You're, a God, you're God's holy people. Now start living like it. Live up to your name, live up to your status, live up to your position. You are no longer 
in darkness. You are no longer in prison. You've been set free. You're new. You're part of the new creation. Now live up to that new creation. Live up to your new identity. You're no longer this. You're saints. You're beloved of God. See, we're not righteous because of anything we've done. We're righteous because the righteousness of Jesus is put on our account. We get all the blessings of the family even though we haven't deserved any of them. We haven't paid for them. We, 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 don't, we get them just because He gives them to us out of grace and mercy. We haven't earned them. We don't deserve them. And we often don't live up to them. But we're still called saints and holy because of Jesus. You know, I've used this before, and it's not new with me, but it's really important that we hold these two truths in tension. And the two truths that we have to hold in tension is the first one is that we are still sinners and we still can do terrible things. And there's there's nothing to be said other than that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, right? But the other side of the coin is this that we are saints, that we are sons and daughters, that we are adopted into God's family. And those two are held in tension in Scripture. and, and, And that's what the world is having a hard time understanding because what they have heard us say or what they have put together in their their heads about us is that we're claiming that we're better than them. We're claiming that that we're more righteous than them. We're claiming that we're more moral than them. And study after study after study and survey after survey after survey proves that that's not true in, in, in all areas. The other thing is they know by their own experience that they've met Christians and they're not much better than them. So they get that. They, they understand that. And, and essentially what Paul is saying is the day that the church, the day that we begin to live as his children, as his sons and daughters, and we love the world the way Jesus loved the world, we don't love what's going on around us in the world. We don't love the world's system. We don't love the way it's being corrupted and it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket. We don't love any of that. You know, I don't get up and preach about how bad our world is and, and how we need to get back to it, a Christian America. And I, you know, listen, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to get back to a Christian America. We're trying to be the children that God's called us to be. We're trying to reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ to be salt and to be light. We're not doing a great job of that. You may not want to hear this, but here's where it starts. I'll just be, you know, we'll talk about this upcoming election for a minute. Here's how it starts. Here's how you act as a son and daughter. You treat everyone with dignity and respect, no matter what position they hold politically. You don't get on the, the, the Facebook and you don't get on these and you don't blast people and say things that are outrageously offensive. You begin to pray for people. When was the last time you prayed for people who disagree with you vehemently? that you don't like. 
Instead of saying, they're the enemy. And that's the other thing you don't do. You don't say that another person or another party is the enemy. The enemy is the devil. The Bible says that we once were. Paul says this in Corinthians. You were this, you were this, you were this, you were this. And such were some of you. That's who you used to be, but you aren't anymore because now you're his son and your daughter and everything has changed. Now there's that capacity within you to do those things. You've got to watch out for that. But you're still his son. You're still his daughter. You're beloved of God. You're a saint. And this whole epistle, as we go through it, Paul's basically going to see, keep saying, this is what God is doing. This is who you are. This is what you should be doing. I was saying today, before the service today, I was saying, if there ever was a time for the church to come out and be the church that it's called to be, now is the time. And we, have, we are failing miserably because we turn this into debate over this and that and this and that. But you know what? The bottom line is until we really reach out and meet the, the physical needs of the people around us and we care about people and we weep with... Just real quickly, I don't want to take a lot of time. Have you ever read the Beatitudes? And we take the Beatitudes, some, you know, the Beatitudes in, in Matthew where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the... It goes on, you know, it talks about all... You know, we read those and we have to say, okay, so this one, this is talking this. And you know what that's talking about? I believe that's the kingdom mandate that God has given, the, that Jesus has given the church. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. And what's he saying there? He's saying, are you ready to reach out across the aisle to somebody that you don't like? with your heart, to really love them, to really pray for them, to really minister to them in their time of need? Are you willing to do that? Because that's what our world needs right now. And that's, that's what the early church did, by the way. They took the people that were sick and diseased. And they said, nobody else wants them. If somebody needs to do something, we'll do it. And when the church begins to reach out and do stuff like that, there's there's no argument against the church. But as long as the church wants to pull itself in and say, we need to get back to the old way of America. We've come to Americanism. We haven't come to the gospel. The gospel is us going into society one life at a time and loving the people we, that don't disagree with us and being kind and considerate and civil and loving and forgiving our enemies and being, being saints, and being salt, and being light. That's what Paul's talking about in this epistle. We're going to go further. And here's the point. When you begin to live out your faith like that, you become what God's called you to be. So we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. And Paul's got a lot of theology he's going to unpack in the next two weeks because from verse 3 to verse, I think, 14 is like really one sentence. It was like if it was an English sentence, you'd get ripped apart by your English teacher. Paul's got a lot to say to us. Hopefully we have ears and hearts to catch it. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, uh, 
this is a really challenging time to live, but it's an incredibly important time because the contrast of what the church, what your, your children, your sons and daughters, your saints, your holy people, the way that we can demonstrate our holiness is not by saying, we believe the right doctrine, but that we, we treat people with love and respect. We love our neighbor as ourself. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We reach out across to people that we don't agree with. We don't try to win an argument. We try to see what the need is, what the hurt is. We try to meet that. We have so many opportunities because there's so many hurting people out there. And yet, Father, I think that sometimes we just want to win an argument. We want to win a, a battle. We want, to, we want to prove that we're right. We just drop the gloves, Father. Help us to drop the gloves and help us to just put on the, put on the aprons, put on the, the servant vests and help us to be sensitive to the needs of the people that you bring into our lives every day that we walk by without a thought. May we begin to pray for those that we really disagree with and pray that uh, we could be uh, better reflections of salt and light. We could be better reflections of your children here on earth because you called us to be different. You called us to be holy. Father, I pray for those who may be crippled by their past. They would realize that in Christ Jesus, they are new creatures. That they, that just as Saul became Paul, you're doing a new work in us. We're part of a new creation and you want to change us. So Father, change us into people who are effective in reaching the many, many, many lost people around us that desperately need hope. They desperately need Jesus. But before they'll hear a word about Jesus, they need to see Jesus in our lives. So help us not just to be silent, help us to speak, but help us to have words that back up our actions. Help us to make a difference in a world that desperately needs the gospel today. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for your word and guide us and direct us this week, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.